This is Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. On the highway below, the school bus rolls past without stopping. I am only seven, but I understand that it is this fact more than any other that makes my family different. We don't go to school. That was Julia Whalen narrating Educated by Tara Westover, a narration that just won Julia the 2019 Audi Award for Best Female Narration. At one time, Julia Whalen was probably best known for playing the teenage daughter on the television series Once and Again. Now Julia is a triple threat. She's an actor, a writer, and most particularly an award-winning audiobook narrator with over 300 titles under her belt including Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl and Tara Westover's haunting memoir, Educated, which netted Julia two 2019 Audio Awards, one for Best Narration and Memoir and one for Best Female Narrator. Julia is repeatedly featured on Audiophile Magazine's annual Best Of list, and she was there again this year for Educated. It's little wonder that Julia Whalen shines as a narrator. Yeah, she has the acting chops, but she also has a lifelong interest in literature and, in fact, stepped away from a successful acting career to study in college. And by the way, this conversation took place before we knew Julia was up for an Audi Award for her narration of Educated. You had a very successful career as a child teenage actor, and you took time off to go to college. Yes. What did you study? Where'd you go? I went to Middlebury College, and I studied... English and creative writing. I didn't do theater while I was there. I kind of left acting for those four years and just focused on developing this other skill set and interest of mine. Were you always interested in writing? Was that something that had grabbed you from the beginning? I was, yeah, as long as I've been acting. I was an only child, and so I think part of it is just entertaining yourself and the world building. But I remember dictating plays to babysitters before I could even physically write. It was the process of writing. It was coming up with stories and coming up with characters. And so that was something that I definitely knew I wanted to do more of. And acting had worked very well for me at that point in my life. And I was ready to put it on pause and focus on something else. And how did you get into the business of narrating audiobooks? Through college, actually. One of my best friends at Middlebury, we were at Oxford together as well for our junior year abroad. Her mother is Laura Grafton, who is a director, producer, audiobook wizard at Brilliance. And at my graduation, she came up to me and said, you know, you have this background in acting and you now have this English and creative writing degree. I think you might be uniquely suited to this. And to be fair, I had never listened to audiobooks. I knew nothing about what it was, what it entailed. And my plan was to graduate and go back to Los Angeles and get my old job back and end up on a TV show again and, you know, go right back into acting. I was blissfully naive of the impossibility of that. You know, taking four years off, the business just forgets you. And I had to really start over. And so after being back in L.A. for about a year, you know, and I was tutoring to make ends meet and I called Laura and I said, so what, what is this thing? I, I read books into a microphone and then you pay me? Is that how this works? And uh, I put a demo together for her, and she started me out with two YA titles. Because I think at the time, I think the window of when I entered into the business, there was this sudden boom in YA, and not necessarily the voices to do them. You know, there was like career narrators who just 
weren't going to play 15-year-old girls. It was a great moment for me to enter, and that was all just timing. For you, coming from a background of acting on a TV set Mm -hmm. where there are 80 gazillion people, to then it's you in a booth, what was that adjustment like for you? That's a good question. This is one of those things where when people always ask me, you know, do you want to teach? Could you teach a class on your technique? And the funny thing is, is that I took to this so easily. It was a fish to water sort of thing. And I don't know if, again, going back to maybe being an only child and used to just entertaining myself or the fact that I love books so much, but it didn't really have much of an adjustment period in the acting part of it. Obviously, there's the technical stuff to learn and how to do the actual job, but It just seemed that all of the skills that I had built over the years, all of the vocal training I had had, all of the theater work, was very applicable and transferred easily to this new craft. So, you know, yes, while it's the difference between being on a television set and doing eight pages a day and with 12 other cast members and just the grind of that, there was something really liberating about actually being responsible for every part of it. How do you prepare when you're given a book just walk me through that process. Sure. So I, it's funny how you. Just, I was reflecting on when I first started. I had because it was all pages, right? Back in the day, you know. Back at the back day. in the day, <laughs> at least five years ago, we had um, actual physical pages, and I would highlight each character in a different color highlighter. And then I figured out that that just made it more complicated for myself when I was reading it. But so to prep, I always read the book ahead of time, and I keep two lists. One is a word list of words I don't know how to pronounce, and sometimes they're real words, but most often they're author invention, especially with fantasy, something like that, where I have to check with the author and figure out the pronunciations. And then a character list where I not only keep any vocal descriptions, accents, tone, timbre, anything like that, but also any biographical details that I think are important. You know, if they're from Brooklyn, but their mother is Italian, but the father is a Brit or something, I want to know that. And then I also kind of create a constellation of which characters appear most together in scenes so that if it's the same four people for the most part in every scene, I can create enough of a difference between those four that it'll be a good listening experience. And I would think especially with YA titles when often there are friends, girls, you know, of of the same age. That's so hard. Yeah, I remember one of the first books I did Maybe not one of the first first, but um, the first challenging book in that respect was a, a book, I think it was called Waking Storms, and it was YA, kind of dark, tonally dark, about mermaids. And it was this, I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of a coven of mermaids. And they were all 16-year-old girls, and there was maybe 12 of them. And that was the first time I'd encountered, how do we do this? What do I do here? Yeah, that's hard. It is, yeah. It's challenging. Do you try to contact the author if he or she is alive? I I do. I prefer that. And I think that's happening more and more now as, frankly, as authors and publishers care more about audio, (laughs) they're a little bit more open to having a conversation. I think the wisdom used to be keep them out of the process. They'll have opinions. But (laughs) I, I actually like touching base with the authors because for many authors, this is the first adaptation of their work. It's the first time that it has been given over into someone else's hands. And I feel a huge sense of responsibility to that. So I I like to be in touch whenever possible. You narrated Gone Girl with Kirby Hayborn. Yes. Let's hear a clip of it now. 
The ones who are not soul-mated, the ones who have settled, are even more dismissive of my singleness. It's not that hard to find someone to marry, they say. No relationship is perfect, they say. They, who make do with dutiful sex and gassy bedtime rituals, who settle for TV as conversation, who believe that husbandly capitulation, yes, honey, okay, honey, is the same as Concord. He's doing what you tell him to do because he doesn't care enough to argue, I think. How did you deal with the tension and the pacing in a book like that? That book was so much fun. Oh, that there book was few... so much fun to listen oh, to, God. let me tell you. I was you. just talking about that book this morning, and I think a part of it is that as an actor, you always want to play the sociopaths. They're just so much fun, and she's so unfiltered and honest and raw and funny and dangerous, and there's so much going on in that character that that was just the, probably the two best days I've ever had in the booth. The interesting thing about pacing with that is that, first of all, trying to match Kirby, he recorded first. And so um, I remember having a conversation with Jill, who directed it, that I wanted to go super fast because this character, because she's crazy and she's overeducated and her she's working at a pace that her very slow husband cannot keep up with. She's always three steps ahead of him. I wanted to go super fast. And that was kind of my first lesson in audio that you can't. <laughs> you have to give the listener the moments to download what they've just heard. So in, I think, the slowness of it, I think what that brought out unintentionally, but I think worked really well, was the sort of plotting, sadistic, cat and mouse thing, like slowly backing him into a corner. Had an interesting take. That that was not my first instinct, but I think it's better. You've narrated memoir as well. Yeah. And... Doing a voice for somebody we actually know, how do you grapple with that? Because you're not going to mimic them. No, I think that's probably the worst thing you could do because you're never going to live up to that expectation. When it's a celebrity memoir, I agree that I think that that's, that's a sticky wicket. And I think at that point you just have to say, I'm the professional storyteller here. That's what you're going to be listening to. You're going to be listening to the professional version of this. But when I do a memoir with someone who isn't known, like I did Educated by Tara Westover, which is an incredible book, and then I think it depends on the writing style. She's such a beautiful writer. The prose just on a craft level is so gorgeous that it's not that far off from first-person fiction. The only thing I do differently is always defer to the text, step back on characterizations a little bit, but really deliver it as the story that it is. Let's hear an excerpt of Educated. Four of my parents' seven children don't have birth certificates. We have no medical records because we were born at home and have never seen a doctor or nurse. We have no school records because we've never set foot in a classroom. When I am nine, I will be issued a delayed certificate of birth. But at this moment, according to the state of Idaho and the federal government, I do not exist. Of course, I did exist. I had grown up preparing for the days of abomination, watching for the sun to darken, for the moon to drip as if with blood. I spent my summers bottling peaches and my winters rotating supplies. When the world of men failed, my family would continue on, unaffected. 
Memoir is tricky, and I especially talk about feeling responsibility to an author. I mean, I, with memoir, I, I feel an even greater sense of responsibility. Right, because they're laying themselves bare, but then somehow it becomes even more intimate when it's told to you by somebody else and you're hearing it in your ear. It's such an intimate thing. It is, and I think that the that can come through in the performance because especially with, like a, with a story like Educated, actually Cass Campbell reached out to me on Twitter. She said, I just got through Educated. Are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, thank you for checking in, Cass. I am now. I wasn't when I was recording it. But that is a, a part of what we do, where I think with memoir, it, it adds that immediacy and that it's very close to the surface and everything is very personal. And so it can be a task, for sure. When you're picking a book to narrate, what draws you to a book? Is it language? Is it character? Is it plot? At this point in my career... And I'm starting to have this discussion more with producers because I think I'm choosing books that serve a purpose to me as a writer more than anything, mm. that they're people I want to I wanna read. They're authors that I either know by reputation or books that I've, I've heard about in the kind of whisper network of publishing that I, I, I want to know more about this person and how they do what they do. And I will always take a very voicey, character-driven book. And at this point, what I'm, I'm in a very fortunate position that producers who know me, who have worked with me forever, I trust their opinion. When Kelly Gilday comes to me with a book, I mean, I will move heaven and earth to make it work because she's brought me Gone Girl and A Million Junes and some great YA titles, and she knows my tastes. And so if she has something in mind for me, I'll, I'll make it happen. So it really comes down to trusting the producer and at this point, you know, just wanting to do books that that fill me in some way. As we've mentioned, you're a writer. Yes. And you wrote My Oxford Year. Yes. Which you also narrated. I did. How was that? Um, surprisingly difficult. Um, I would think it would be difficult. I don't know why I didn't think it would be difficult, but I really wasn't expecting it to be difficult. I think because as part of the editorial process, I, I would read the book out loud. That's just part of the way I've always edited books. So it's not as if I hadn't read the book out loud before. And I don't know exactly what the difference was when I was actually sitting in my booth reading the book out loud. But there was, well, two things. First of all, it's objectively, it was a difficult book. If someone had just sent me the book, it would have been difficult. It's first person present, so the emotions are very immediate, very on the surface. It's very direct address. And then it's also, I don't know, 13 different British characters. And so there was already a lot to keep track of. And then the additional task of having to turn off the editorial brain while recording was, was definitely a feature. Um, and probably being a little bit more of a perfectionist than I usually am. May I assist? The man lilts with a tone that only ever means one thing. I freeze. He can't be. I look up at him. He is. He's flirting with me, holding the towel poised and ready, all dashing smile and twinkling eyes. My head explodes. Are you kidding me? I would never dare kid about such matters, he charms. You're flirting? You should be apologizing. For flirting? For nearly running me over. You're suggesting I apologize for something I didn't intentionally do. I'd rather apologize for the flirting. He's smiling. Y you, you posh prat. Ooh, 
posh prat. So it was it was surprisingly challenging, but of course it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And that makes sense as yes. well. Yeah. Do you find reading for pleasure has changed now since you've Yeah, become... in that I don't. Mm. I mean, I think that I'm so behind on reading friends' books. I wish I had more reading time. I mean, that's why I was an English major. That's why I got into this job. I love to read. And as a writer, I think it's also essential to be reading and reading widely. But I, for the first time in a while, I was able to sit down and read a friend's book. And I was noticing that it's hard for me. It takes about half a book before I turn off the narrator part of my brain when I'm reading. Mm -hmm. Because I'm constantly thinking about character, about word choice, about the tone. And I, it's very hard for me to read a book without thinking about how I'm going to perform it. And then once I remind myself that I know I can just sit back and enjoy this one, it's great. I wish I could do more of it. It's a wonderful feeling. If you had to sum up the attributes of a good narrator, like if you're giving advice to somebody who, mm-hmm. who wanted to be in this business, what would you say? I don't think it's being a good actor. I think that's actually probably the least of it. I think it's being a good reader. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of really great narrators are also writers. Scott Brick, Tavia Gilbert, Cass is writing, Karen White is writing, Tanya Eby, many, many. You have to have a sensitivity for text and language in a way that, frankly, not a lot of actors have because it's just not prioritized. It's really not considered part of the job. But being able to read a manuscript the way someone would read a blueprint. What is the author trying to do here? What is the suggestion? What does the white space say? What does the punctuation say? What is the feeling that an author is trying to create? And at that point, if that's who you are and you're that kind of sensitive reader, honestly, if you don't do character voices, if you don't modulate, it's really less important than just telling the story so well and so sensitively that people can't stop listening. And I think that that's the thing that has stood out to me the most is, you know, having vocal range, having a facility with accents, having a good sense of characterization, that's all wonderful. But if you can't tell what an author is trying to do, then it's just never going to be storytelling. And that's what it is. It's storytelling. I think it's storytelling. I think otherwise, why does the medium exist? Why wouldn't someone just read the book? Julia, thank you. I appreciate you you giving me your time. Thank you. This was wonderful. It was great. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was Julia Whalen, winner of the 2019 Audi Award for Best Female Narration for her reading of Educated. You can find reviews for Educated, My Oxford Year, and many of the other books Julia has narrated at audiophilemagazine.com. I'm Joe Reed. Thanks for listening to Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine.